You're listening to The Fervent Life with Rhea Briscoe, an extension of Snowdrop Ministries. Please stay tuned as Rhea shares her heart with you and challenges you to go deeper with God. For more information on Snowdrop Ministries or Rhea Briscoe, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com. Let's join Rhea now as the teaching begins. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Today I was driving down the road, I was going to work, and uh, this car passed me on the highway. It was bright yellow, and uh, across the back window, in big letters, it said, got pain, question mark? And then there were pictures of supplement bottles all over the car, and it said, whatever the name of the supplement was, is the answer. And I chuckled because I knew what I was teaching tonight. And, and I just want to ask you, if you're here tonight and, and you have pain, Jesus is the answer. I wonder if there's anybody here that's in pain, maybe filled with heartache or anxiety or fear. Perhaps you're void of peace, maybe harassed by heartache. Maybe you're filled with anxious thoughts and worry. But I can promise you, if you have pain, Jesus is the answer. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. But would you just pray with me first? Father, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You, Lord, never change. And so, Father, we approach you knowing that, knowing that yesterday you were a healer, asking you to be the same today in this place. Yesterday you brought illumination and revelation and I'm asking you to do the same in this place. Yesterday anybody that came into your presence left changed and Father, I'm begging you to do that here tonight. Father, I thank you that your word is powerful, it's mighty and it never ever returns void. I pray, Lord, that, that it would prosper in the hearts and the minds of every person here tonight. Lord, help me recall the things I study. Bring to mind only the things I need to remember. Let me say only what the Father tells me to say. Let me hear your voice clearly, Lord. And I promise you that I will boldly and without apology apology, speak every word you tell me to speak. So Father, have your way in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14, it's a familiar passage. Many of you uh, will uh, know that it's often read at funerals. It's talking about heaven. And, and while that's true, as I studied it this past week, I realized that it also has a now application. And, and so tonight I wanted to talk to you about that now application. Not so much about it being about heaven and mansions waiting for us there, but I want to look at it a little more closely and, and ask us how this thing can, can apply to us today. Because I think that's how the word works. I think we don't approach it saying, what does this mean in the future? It means, what does this mean to me today? And how can this change my life today? And so as we read through it, I want to just bring out some things that I think truly will change your life. Uh, John chapter 14, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, and I love this, I love that the disciples weren't afraid to interrupt him. He's talking away and they interrupt him twice in this passage you'll see. And that tells me a bit about his relationship with the disciples. They felt free enough to interrupt him. And and I just love that about Jesus. So uh, Thomas interrupts, you know, doubting Thomas. And he said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus said, you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, "Uh, no, we don't. You told us we can't know where you're going. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, they're still not getting this. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you such a long time. That that scripture just really bothers me as I read through it this week. Philip, don't you know me? Even as I've been among you for such a very long time, I've walked with you, Philip. I've fellowshiped with you, Philip. You've seen me do miraculous things, Philip. We've been side by side for three and a half years and you don't even know me. Oh, church, I just want to tell you that as we walk with Jesus and and we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we come to Bible study on Monday night, I wonder if we really know him. I don't ever want to face him and have him say, Rhea, do you not know me after this long time that you've walked with me? He goes on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not be leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I want to jump down now to verse 27. Actually, let's back up to 25. All of this I have spoken while, I, while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
It's a beautiful passage, and Jesus is talking to his disciples here. This is what's known as the upper room discourse, and, and it's, it's chapter 14 through 16 uh, that, that is known by that name, and, and it's Jesus having a conversation with his disciples before he heads to the cross. The cross is on the horizon here. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he realizes they're troubled. And of course they are, it's with good reason. Their lives were being shaken up and, and their comfort was being disturbed. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that can relate to that. But the disciples had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He was their closest friend. They had left everything, their families, their job, their everything, to be with him, to follow him. And now he told them he was leaving, and they could not go with him. Not only that, he told them that they were going to be persecuted because they were associated with him. Oh, that's good news. In addition, he said one of them was about to betray him, and they had no idea which one it was going to be. And then, then he said, Peter, who is the leader, who is the rock... <laughs> was going to betray him, was going to deny him three times. This is Peter. So they're thinking, if Peter, our leader, is going to deny him three times, what is, what's there left for us? What are we going to do? And so they were troubled. The word there for troubled in this passage means, and get this, it's really important that you hear this, it means to agitate or to trouble. It means to cause inward commotion. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that has some inward commotion going on. It means to take away the calmness of mind, to disquiet, to make restless, to stir up. I wonder if your emotions get stirred up pretty easily. That's, that means you're troubled. It means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to render anxious or distressed, to affect with great pain and sorrow. Is there anybody here tonight who's troubled? Remember, this was the night before Jesus went to the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew it was about to get a whole lot darker uh, for his disciples. They were going to have to watch him be crucified, be beaten, be sentenced to death. Can you just imagine how troubled they were really going to be? And so Jesus is giving them some advice. He, he's, he's, I love that he's not too busy with his mind on the cross, that he's thinking all about himself. I don't know about you, but if I was facing crucifixion, it is horrendous death. It is not a nice way to die. And if I was facing crucifixion and I knew it, I would not be spending the night before trying to comfort somebody else. I would be like, it is all about me. Can somebody please comfort me because I am about to die? But not my Jesus. He instead is worrying about his disciples. He's comforting them. He's, he's assuring them that there is a place of peace in him where they don't have to live in turmoil and be disturbed by all that's going on around them. And can I just tell you tonight that that place exists for you and I as well. In verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That word let there is very interesting. It's a negative present imperative. It's a command. And it commands something that's already happening and telling it to stop. In other words, you're already troubled. It's happening in your life and it's time to stop. Stop it. Stop being troubled. It's a command. 
He's not minimizing their anxiety. He's not minimizing their fear. He understands that they have a reason to be troubled. And there's some of you here tonight who have a reason to be troubled. He's saying you're going to face trouble. You're going to be tempted to be stirred up by it, but you have a choice. If he says, let not your hearts be troubled, that tells me that we have a choice, that we do not have to live agitated and stirred up. We don't have to live without calmness of mind. We don't have to live in anxiety and fear. We have a choice to let not our hearts be troubled. That's interesting to me because Jesus is telling them not to be troubled, but we see in, in John eleven thirty three. In 1227 and in 1321 where Jesus himself is troubled. And I was like, that just doesn't even make sense, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me that you would tell your disciples not to be troubled and not to let their hearts be troubled. But the word says you were troubled. And and when that's like a parent saying, do as I say and not as I do. And, And so that bothered me a bit this week. And I was meditating on it. And what I realized is that Jesus may have had the temptation to be troubled. He may have have been troubled, but he did not let, he did not continue in that place and let it consume him and make him powerless. He knew who held his life. He knew who was in control. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There is a place that we can run for cover and not be disturbed even though there's a storm raging around us. We do not have to be troubled. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That word heart is the inner man. It's the soul or mind as the seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. It's, a, it's figurative for thoughts and feelings. Oh, that's just good. Don't let your thoughts and feelings be troubled. Women, can, can, you, uh, can you really uh, relate to that? Because we are emotional, and, and I don't know about you, but my emotions can get stirred pretty easily. And Jesus is saying, don't let your thoughts be agitated. Don't let your emotions take away your calmness of mind. Don't let the pain and the heartache you're facing trouble you and stir you up. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Again, Jesus isn't minimizing or playing down their pain. They have valid reason to be troubled, and so do some of you. I want you to notice that it's a command. He's commanding them to not let their emotions, their heart, their feelings, their thoughts be troubled. And you say, well, Jesus, that's a really good suggestion, but it seems impossible. Do you have any idea what I'm going through? Do you have any idea what I'm facing? Now, how do you want me to do that? How do you want me to not let my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions be troubled, be stirred up, be agitated, be anxious? And here's the answer. He says, trust in God. Trust also in me. Some of your, your translations will say, you trust in God, trust also in me. Some commentators say that that could be accurate, that, that it's really an addictive, an addictive and an imperative, but, but most commentators say it's not that at all, it's two imperatives. Believe in God, believe also in me. I really like the, the Moffat translation. It says, you believe, believe in God, and believe also in me. Everybody believes in something. Why not believe in the one who can never fail us, who will never forsake us, 
who will never leave us? Why not believe in the one who's truth and not a lie? He says the remedy for pain and, and living agitated or worried is to put our complete and total trust in God. To trust in, lean on, rely in, adhere to him and him alone. Trusting in God, I believe, is different than just having faith in God. Uh, trust isn't just believing that God can do something. It's believing that he will do something. He will show up at just the right time. Do you believe that no matter what you're facing, no matter how bad it looks, no matter hope, how hopeless it seems, can I just tell you God will do something? He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to relax his hold on you. Trust in God. Trust also in the Lord Jesus. That word trust means believe, to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in, to place reliance upon, to entrust or commit yourself to. I just wonder if there's anybody here that believes in God. You see, I think we all believe in God, but my question for you is, do you believe God? Do you believe that his word is yea and amen to those who believe? Do you believe that? Do you believe him when he says that no weapon formed against you will prosper, that that's your inheritance from the Lord? Do you believe that he hems you in behind him before and he's laid his hand upon you? Do you believe that no good thing will he withhold from those who love him? Do you believe that, 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 that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath? Do you believe that he's your shepherd and you shall not be in one? The question is, I know you believe in God, but do you believe him? Do you believe this word? Because it's truth. I was thinking about Abraham today. There's a scripture, if you want to turn over to Romans 4, this is interesting, it's worth, it's worth the time to turn over to that. Romans 4, verses 17 and 18. I want to read it to you in the Amplified. It says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations as he had been promised by God. In hope against hope. Here's an old man, it's Abraham. You all know this story. He couldn't have a descendant and God said to him, your, your, your descendants are gonna be as many as the sand of the sea. You're gonna be the father of many nations. Well, how can that happen when we are sterile? Well, when we're not even able to have a child. That's a really good thought, God, but I'm just starting to question whether or not you know what you're talking about because how can I be the father of many nations when I can't even father a child? And God promises him, he will give him a child. But you know the story, years and years and years and years pass, and now Abraham is an old man, and Sarah is past the time that she's able to bear children, and all of a sudden, bam, she becomes pregnant. I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> but it's because Abraham hoped against hope that God would do what he said he would do. He, he didn't care what the situation looked like. He didn't care how hopeless it seemed. He was going to hope against hope and believe God. You see, that is the answer to dealing with a troubled heart. It, it is hoping against hope that God means what he says and he'll do what he promises, no matter how the situation appears. 
in the natural. You see, so often we focus on the natural. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. In the natural, you're gonna see some things. You're gonna be disturbed. You're gonna be troubled. But, but I'm just telling you, get your eyes off the natural and onto the supernatural. Get your eyes back on God, the author and the finisher of your faith. Believe and keep on believing. He was preparing the disciples and his remedy was believe and keep on believing. No matter what you see with your natural eyes, don't let it move you. Verse two says, in my father's house there are many rooms. Some of you know this as many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Hey, I love that he says, if this were not so, I would have told you. I love that about Jesus. What he's saying is, you can trust me to be honest with you. You can trust me to be a truth teller. I, I hate nothing more than somebody who lies to me. I, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how much you dislike me. Do not lie to my face. I just don't like it. And I love that Jesus is saying, I am a truth teller. If it were not so, I would have told you. You can trust me to tell you. You can count on my word. I don't tell you anything that isn't so. I love that Jesus told them that they know the way to the place where he's going and, and good old Thomas speaks up for everybody else. It's in the plural there. In other words, he's the spokesman for everybody else here. Nobody else wants to say it, but Thomas isn't gonna be bashful. We have no idea what you're talking about, Lord. Just exactly where are you going? We don't know where you're going because Jesus is saying, you know the way to the place where I'm going. It's interesting because look at 1336. Jesus has already told them that they could not follow him to the place he was going. Now he tells them they know the way. They know it because they've been doing it. Notice what, what he says about uh, after Thomas questions it. He says, I am the way. You see, they've been doing it because they know how to follow Jesus. They've been doing it for three and a half years. And what he's saying is, I am the way. Just follow me. Just follow me. The way to the Father, the way to peace of mind is to follow him and live a life of obedience to his word. He is the truth. He's not just the way, he's the truth. And we must believe and trust in his word that is truth, that it is the right way, that he will not mislead us, that he, will true, that he truly is the way, that he's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's faithful, and he's true. You can count on it, it's true, his word is true. What somebody sitting next to you says to you may or may not be true, but God, when he says something to us, it's truth. And he says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I just want to tell you, there is no other source of life. I've looked everywhere. And if you could find it in anything other than Jesus, I would have found it. I checked everything. Trust me. Let me save you a whole lot of pain and heartache. Only Jesus can give you what you're looking for. He is your only source of life. There is no life without going his way, trusting in and relying on his truth. We were talking last week about walking in the flesh. We were saying that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been saved by grace. Nothing can change that. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we still walk in the flesh. 
And, 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 and some of you could question and you might say, well, Rhea, if we're saved by grace and not by works and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and, and we're, we're, we really are getting to heaven by nothing that we've done, why then should I even bother trying to obey him if I'm saved by grace anyway? Dave and I were talking this week and, and I said to him, you know, here's what I know about God's word. It works. It's the truth. It is the way I need to direct my life. And when I do it, it brings me life. It brings me life. I, I can disobey. I, I know he'll forgive me, but I'm just going to tell you what. I want to save myself a whole lot of pain and heartache. He is the way. He is the truth. And he will bring me absolute life. But that's all dependent on me living in him, in obedience to him. Oh, I'm still going to heaven but I'm going to tell you what, I, I love the favor of God on my life. I, I, I will tell you, I see it at work in my life. I love when he blesses me. I love, I love the anointing. I will tell you, there's nothing I'm more afraid of than when I'm sitting in that chair right there and I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let me to myself up on that stage. I need your anointing. I need your power. I don't care how much I prepare for a sermon. Without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to be changed. And you see, I, it's not about works. It is just about there is the theory that, that, that when I obey God, I'm telling you, I see his power. I see his glory. I see, I see him at work in my life, and he brings me life. Our whole Christian walk requires faith. It requires believe and keep believing in Jesus, even when it's dark and things don't make sense, even when it seems like the enemy is winning, and we are overcome with pain, believe and keep believing that he will be faithful to you. In my father's house are many mansions. We talked about that word mansion, <laughs> and, and it really is not the word mansion. It, is, it means a staying, an abiding, a dwelling, an abode. But here's my favorite. It's a metaphor, and don't miss this. It's a metaphor of God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling in believers. You see, that's why I tell you it has a now application in our life. It's not just he went to heaven and he's preparing mansions up there for us. It means that, that where I go, you can go because your Holy Spirit, I am dwelling within you through the power of my Holy Spirit. The NASB translates that word dwelling places. Oh, can I just tell you, we are the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I think it's uh, in Acts 7. You see, uh, David, was the temple destroyed in 70 AD? Is that when that, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and it was never rebuilt. Do you know why it was never rebuilt? Because God had another plan. He was not, as, as Acts 7 says, the most high God does not dwell in temples made with hands. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hey, we are the mansion that he wants to live in. Hey, he's promising his presence, his indwelling presence. We do not have to let our hearts be terrified because the power of God is in us. Oh, that's just so good. I was, I was out yesterday. I was waiting for Kendall someplace, and, and I saw that back in a corner, kind of hidden, were two squad cars a Harley Davidson, an old van, 
And there were the, these guys, you know, long beard, uh, dressed in a t-shirt and a, and a leather jacket and, and, and old, uh, you know, worn jeans. And, and there were two of them and, and they were laughing and talking to these two policemen. And I, I realized after watching them for some time that there was a sting taking place, <laughs> that those were undercover officers. It was really cool. I would not have fallen for it. I, I would have, how would you even recognize them? They looked like Harley riders, and they were police officers undercover. And I love that, because he says, he says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where you go, I go. You are my undercover agent. You are my ambassador to this world. And, and just like those undercover agents didn't look anything like police officers, sometimes I look nothing like Jesus. But I am his undercover agent. And everywhere I go, he goes. And I want to change the atmosphere everywhere I go. I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 16, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And here's what I really want you to see. The Spirit, guess what the word is? Numa of truth. The spirit of truth. The numa of truth. I, I, if you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. I've been walking with you all these years, he's saying to the disciples. I've been a counselor to you. I, I've led you in truth, but now it's important, it's imperative that I go be with the Father, because when I go, he's going to send another counselor, and, and he's not just going to walk with you, he's going to be inside of you. And he is going to direct you. That word counselor, it means called to one's aid. Oh, do you know that the Holy Spirit is called to our aid? He's an advocate. And he says, he's going to send you another counselor, the spirit of truth, the pneuma of truth. Oh, that, that, that's just so good. You see, it's going to be the pneuma that will help us look at things objectively. The pneuma that will help us discern truth. The pneuma that will help us walk in fact and reality. The word uh, means all of those things, but, but here's what I really want you to get. That word truth means the candor of mind, which is free from affection, pretense, simulation, falsehood, and deceit. The candor of mind that is free from affection, pretense, falsehood, deceit, you see, some of us are listening to the wrong pneuma. We're listening to a pneuma, a spirit that lies and deceives and tricks us into believing things that are not true. And Jesus is saying, guess what? I'm going to send you a pneuma, and he's going to live inside of you. And he is going to lead you and direct you into all truth. That's why it's so important that we test the spirits to see if this is of God. That pneuma is of God. Our minds, he's saying, will, will not be affected by our emotions any longer when we're under the influence of that pneuma. Our minds will not be affected by a sham, by something counterfeit when we're under the influence of that pneuma. Our minds will not be influenced by false claims or make-believe or untrue claims that the enemy brings. We'll be able to pick that out because it's the spirit of truth. Our minds will not be influenced by deception or the enemy's tricks. Our minds will be free of lies and untrue statements by the enemy. But notice what this condition is, notice what this command is conditioned under. 
obeying his commands, walking in truth. Barrett says the, the expression of the spirit of truth probably means the spirit who communicates truth. Oh, don't you want that in your life? See, some of us have been listening to lies. Lies were spoken over us as a child, and it gave an in to the enemy to just continue to, to speak lies and to, to mislead us and to deceive us. And some of us are under the influence of a spirit of lies, a spirit of deceit. And we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I know that I'm leaving your side right now, and you're panicked over that, but I am not going to leave you as orphans. You are not alone. Can I just tell you, you are not alone. I don't care who's abandoned you. I don't care if you're still single. I, I don't care if you live alone and you feel alone all the time. You are not alone. That's why we don't have to let our hearts be troubled. God is in you. He's with you, and he's never going to leave us. He's abiding and dwelling and making his mansion in us. We don't want to resist him. We want to yield to him. You see, Maria, what is the big deal that God is with us? Oh, this is so good. Well, what is the big deal that, 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 that his presence is with us? You see, that's what he's saying to the disciples. He's guaranteeing his presence with them wherever they go. You see, that is the answer to a troubled heart, knowing that God is with me. He fights my battles for me. He's with me like a mighty warrior. It's one of my favorite scriptures. So Rhea, what's the big deal that his presence is with me? I want you to think about Peter, Peter who I can't wait to meet in heaven someday because he, he's a lot like me. He's a big mouth and he's very impulsive. And he's pretty much ruled by his emotions. And, and I, I love that, that we see Peter, uh, who, who was once kind of cowardly. I love that we see him uh, when Jesus, when, the, when, the, when the, uh, the soldiers come to get Jesus, to take him to the cross. Does anybody know what he does? He pulls a sword, and what does he do with it? He chops off Malchus's, a servant of the, uh, of the high priest. He chops off his ear. I just want to say, Peter, what are you thinking? Where did you get that kind of boldness? Where did you get that kind? Oh, Peter, do you have any idea what they're going to do to you? And Jesus picks up the ear and miraculously puts it back on. That's just a great story right there. But, but it was, how did Peter get so bold and brave? The presence of Jesus. And then we see Peter another time, and, and he's denying Jesus Three times. He said, I'll never deny you. I'll never do it. And, and he didn't just do it once. He didn't just do it twice. He did it three times. And he didn't just deny him. You know who he denied him to? A little girl. He didn't even have the courage to stand up to a little girl. You know why? Because he was outside the presence of Jesus. You see, the presence of Jesus empowers us. It equips us. The presence of Jesus, it will, we can tap into that power within us. You see, that's why we don't have to be troubled in our heart, in our mind, because we can tap into the power of God within us, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Get in his presence, put on some worship music, and get in his presence. And those troubles will be lifted and the weight of them removed. 
Look at verse 9. He says, uh, uh, they, they've walked with him for such a long time, and yet they didn't know him. And, and I told you earlier, I don't ever want to be guilty of that. I see that happening in church, that we attend church Sunday morning. We sit under the, that's a great preacher, maybe. We hear a good sermon, and we never pick up our Bible the rest of the week. And, and while we say we know him, we never truly know him. Oh, we've walked with him but we don't know him. We don't know him intimately. We're not intimately acquainted with him. You see, when you're intimate with somebody, you know what they like. And, and you see, people say, well, Rhea, why do I have to obey God? <laughs> I'm saved by grace. And he says, if you what? Love me. You'll keep my commandments. You'll say, well, Rhea, that, that becomes works. No, uh, Dave is here tonight, and, and he's just, he makes my heart beat fast. He's my man, and, and I love him so much, and we are intimate. And you know what? I know what Dave likes. I know how he likes his tea in the morning. I know his favorite foods. I know what he likes to wear and what he doesn't like to wear. I know what makes him grouchy. I know a lot about Dave, and it's because I'm intimate with him. And I love to do those things for him. And it's not because it's works for me. It's not because I'm trying to please him. It's because I love him and I want to serve him. I want, I want to make him happy. It's the same kind of thing. When we're intimate with God, when we really know him, we'll obey him. When we really love him, we will obey him. Look at verse 11. He says, believe me when I say, and I love that he's saying again, it's very similar to, if it were not true, I would have told you. He's again saying, you can believe me, you can trust me. Do you know that you can trust God? We need to believe that what he says is true. Look at verse 11. He talks about that we're going to do greater works than he does. And we all know this as miracles, but, but I love that, that, that my Bible translates miracles as works. And, and one of the commentators I read this week said that, that Jesus, and I love this, he, he says that what is for us a miracle is for Jesus nothing more than normal work what he's doing for the Father. He says, I'm not even doing it. It's the Father in me doing his works. And can I tell you that you and I don't need to go out and, and do all these works. We just need to be. We just need to, to get in his presence. We just need to tap into that power and he will do it all. The same grace that saved us will now empower us and equip us to go out and do what he called us to do. Verse 12, he says, even greater works. And, and that always tickles me because, <laughs> you know, people always say, oh, I'm going to do greater works than Jesus. Well, it's a whole world of people doing works for Jesus. Of course, we're going to do greater works. <laughs> but what tickles me is we're so interested in the signs and wonders. I want to see people healed. I want to see the blind see. Nobody wants that more than I do. Trust me, I want to see it too. But you know what I'm more concerned about? You know what I'm more impressed with? The conversion of a soul. You see, uh, you, can, you can watch somebody get healed of a broken leg and then walk away and never look at Jesus again. That doesn't impress me. But you can see somebody's leg not get healed, them come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and their life be radically transformed. Can I just tell you, I care far more about a conversion of a soul than I do seeing signs and wonders. Sometimes I wonder if our priorities aren't messed up. 
Jesus says, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. We're so intimately connected that I only do what the Father tells me to do. I do what I see him doing. I, I, I imitate what the Father's doing. You see, it's not works when we obey Jesus. It's just us imitating him. It's us doing what he did. He does what the Father does, and we do what he does. Verse 15, he says it again, if you really love me, you'll do what I command. Our love for him is evidenced by us doing what he commands. There is no greater expression of love. That word is in the present, it's a continual doing. And you see, that's how we get free uh, from, from a trouble, troubling, tr- troubled heart even when our situations don't change. You see, some of you are in hard situations. Some of you have troubled hearts. Your, your emotions are, are just messed up and you're agitated, you're anxious, you're full of fear. You don't have a calmness of mind anymore. You've lost all that because you're so troubled. And, and maybe in the midst of that, maybe somebody did you dirty, maybe somebody hurt you and you just can't let go of it. And you know God's word says forgive because I've forgiven you. You know God's word says be kind and compassionate and yet you choose to do otherwise and then you wonder why you're troubled in heart. Jesus said if you do what I do, if you do what I command you to do because I am the life, you'll find life. Life is not gonna be found with you doing what you want to do. Your heart is gonna be troubled. You're gonna be a mess. Man, it's hard. It's hard to do what he tells us to do, but you see, when you recognize that his way is the right way, when you recognize that what he's telling you to do, no matter how hard it seems, it will be the way to life. Jesus recognized that. Remember, he's gonna get crucified. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He was innocent, and he's dying for people who really don't care anyway, and who have not been very nice to him. And yet, what drove him to the cross? Does anybody know? Doing the Father's will. I love if you jump down, and and I have to get back to John 14 here. If you jump down just a couple verses to verse 29, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Oh, I love that verse. Uh, The prince of this world is coming. Satan, the enemy, is coming. But he has nothing in me. Oh, don't you want to be able to say that? You have no hold on me. You see, the enemy had no hold on Jesus because he was sinless. Oh, but if we are justified in faith, it's just as if we've never sinned. I'm just going to tell you, I can stand up here tonight and say the enemy has nothing in me. He has no power in my life except what I surrender to him. And Jesus was saying to his disciples there, he he was saying, I'm going to the cross unless you should think that the enemy did this. I want you to know that, that he has no hold on me. He has no influence on my life. I am choosing to go to the cross. I am choosing to lay down my life. What would happen, church, if we chose to lay down our life? If we chose that no matter what, no matter how hard it was, and trust me, it was not easy for Jesus. I don't care what you say. He sweated drops of blood. He said to God, if there's any other way, could this cup be taken from me? He did not. He was not like jumping to go to the cross. But he knew what his father had told him to do, and he was going to do it. 
What would happen, church, if we really lived like that, if we knew what our Father told us to do? And we did it no matter how hard it was. That person doesn't deserve me to forgive them, but nonetheless, Lord, since you say it, I'm gonna do it. I feel like it's killing me. I feel like I have my own little crucifixion going here, Lord, because I don't think they deserve it, but, but I'll be nice to them anyway. You see, that's the way to life. That's the way to get rid of a troubled heart. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in him. Do you trust in him? He says the world doesn't understand this. They can't lay hold of this. And I believe he's talking about unbelievers there. But I also believe if you look up the word, it means those who are hostile to the truth. What did we learn last week? From Romans 8, 7, the mind that's governed by the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law, nor do so. I love the International Standard Version. It says, that is why the mind that focuses on human nature is hostile towards God. It refuses to submit to the authority of God's word. Some translations say the carnal mind refuses to submit to the authority of God's word. I, I believe we can be carnal Christians. I believe we can be Christians who, who act in ways that are hostile to God's word. And we are never gonna benefit from all that he's talking about in this passage when we're living like that. Our hearts are still gonna be troubled. We're still gonna be a mess. Verse 21, I'm almost finished. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them. He's gonna say it again. Those are two different things. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him. And here's my favorite part, and show myself to him. That word has, whoever has my commands, it, 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 the meaning means to make the commands one's own. It, it means to take them into one's inner being. Notice that he says he who has them and obeys them. In other words, it's not enough to just be able to quote them. It's not enough to have an intellectual knowledge of them. That, that's how we are sometimes. I can quote you some scripture. I know what God said. But, but what Jesus is saying here, whoever has my commands inside of them and obeys them. That's the one that, that I am going to manifest myself to. You see, this is why when we don't care about God's word and we say, oh, he doesn't care if I obey it or not. Here's why it's important because he says, when you obey my word, here's what's going to happen. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing better than when God manifests his presence in my life. And he said, because you have my word. And you don't just have it. You don't have it memorized. You don't just have it in your life. You can't just quote it. You are obeying it. Baby, you're the one I'm going to manifest myself to. You're the one I'm going to show myself to. That word manifest means to show oneself, to make oneself known. Oh, that's so good. And then he finishes by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as, my, as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
The Amplified says, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Oh, stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourself to be fearful and unsettled. What if this week, and this is just one little tiny scripture, but what if this week we committed that to memory? What if we really stopped being troubled? What if we really stopped allowing ourselves, if we lived in the present so much that everything we did, we would say, I need to stop allowing myself to be agitated. I need to stop allowing myself to be disturbed by this thought. I need to stop allowing myself to be fearful and unsettled. It's a choice. I have a choice. I don't have to be ineffective. You see, that's, that's what bothers me so much about Christians today. We don't look a whole lot different than the unbeliever down the street. No wonder nobody wants our Jesus. We're not any more victorious than they are. We're just as agitated. We're just as angry. We, we, we have just as little calmness of mind. We're, we're just as fearful. We're just as anxious. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The power of God, the force of God is behind us. Those undercover agents that I saw this week, I just... I can't even tell you how much that tickled me to see them. I mean, this guy had a beard down to here, and, and he was a cop, and that was just good. That was just good. And, and, and what, what really tickled me was he might have looked like a, a wild Harley rider, but he had the, the force of the state of Wisconsin behind him. He had the authority of the state of Wisconsin behind him. Watch out. And you and I, can I just tell you that, that when we really want to stop being agitated, when we really want to stop being fearful, when we really want to stop being anxious, when we want to represent well, we need to remember that we have the authority, the force of all of heaven behind us. Oh, baby, that doesn't get any better, does it? Do you understand that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within you and I. He says peace. You know that shalom. It doesn't just mean peace of mind. And it certainly doesn't mean the absence of, of war or trouble. Because Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I got the victory for you. You walk in victory and not in defeat. Everything you face, you face knowing you've already got the victory in Christ Jesus. You see, that's why we don't have to let our hearts be troubled by things. That's why we can go through hard times. We can go through hopeless situations. And we can choose to not let our hearts be troubled because we understand that we walk in the peace of God. That it doesn't mean I won't have trouble. It just means that that trouble is not going to overcome me. I've already got victory in Christ Jesus. That this thing that looks impossible in front of me, Christ defeated on the cross of Calvary. He overcame it on the cross of Calvary. He overcame hell, death, and the grave on the cross of Calvary. And now I can walk in victory and not defeat. He says, my peace I leave, I bequeath to you. He's the prince of peace. It's interesting to me that Jesus is headed to the cross and he is just, he, he's comforting his disciples and, and he's radiating peace. And do you know how he could do that? Because he knew who held his life. He trusted the Father. 
He said, the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold on me. And, and I just want you to know the next time that the enemy comes and whispers, the next time the enemy comes and wants to stir something up inside of you, the next time the enemy comes and reminds you of a memory or, or what somebody did to you or an offense that you took and you start getting angry, or the next time fear seizes you because God has not given you a spirit of fear. It's a spirit, but it's not from the Lord. It's not a holy one. The next time that happens, you need to remind the enemy that, that he has no hold on you, that he has no authority, and you're not about to surrender it to him. When Kendall was little and growing up, my daughter Kendall, uh, she had older siblings, six older siblings, and they were much older than her, and, and so she really had six other parents, really, is what it amounted to, and, and she would put her hand on her hip when they told her to do something, and she would say, you're not the boss of me. And I'm telling dad, and she would run and tell Dave and, and tattle on them. And, and so we, to this day, will still say, you're not the boss of me. I would tell Leslie all the time, you're not the boss of me. And this week when the enemy comes and he whispers and he tries to, to trouble you and to stir up emotions inside of you, when he tries to make you fearful and full of anxiety, when he tries to take your calmness of mind, you need to put your hand on the hip and say, you are not the boss of me. You have nothing in me. Let me just remind you, you've been defeated on the cross of Calvary. And I walk in the authority of God and all of heaven is behind me. I'm an undercover agent for him. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He's in you. Everything you have need of is in you. It's interesting to me that in Mark 4, and, and I'm closing now, in Mark 4, we, we see the story of Jesus and the disciples in the boat. And, and it's a familiar story. Many of you will, will know it. And, and Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and he is asleep. I love that we see Jesus' humanity there, that he got tired, he had to sleep. And, and, and he lays down in the boat and he goes to sleep. And the Bible says that all of a sudden a storm came up out of nowhere, a furious storm. You see, that's how storms usually come up, doesn't it? Don't they? That, that's how they come up in our life. They come up out of nowhere. You weren't expecting them. And they, they seem to be a furious storm and they want to swamp your boat. You see, that storm that came up was swamping the disciples' boats and they were afraid that they were going to die. Now, these are fishermen. They know storms. And yet they were terrified. That tells me it was a whopper of a storm. Some of you are in a whopper of a storm right now. And so the storm comes up out of nowhere and it starts to swamp their boat and, and they don't know what to do. Now remember, they have been with Jesus. They just saw him feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. They, they just saw him take a demoniac and, and, and uh, a man who was not in his right mind and, and the man's dressed and in his right mind and seated and wanting to follow them. I, they had seen Jesus do all kinds of things. They'd seen his power, and now they're terrified. They're in this storm, and they're terrified, and they're troubled at heart. And they run, and they wake up Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you even care about us? Don't you care that we're perishing? You see, that's what we do sometimes in storms. <laughs> we accuse Jesus of sleeping on the job. We accuse him of not really caring about us. Oh, I, I believe you care for Kelsey. I, I, I believe that you care for Karen. But, but you do not, but you don't care about me. You don't love me. You don't care that I'm perishing. You don't care that my life is being swamped with this pain and this heartache. And where are you, Lord? You're asleep on the job. <laughs> and Jesus 
gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And it was perfectly calm. You see, Jesus could sleep through that storm because he trusted the Father. I don't know what kind of storm you're in right now, but if you trust the Father, you won't let your heart be troubled. You will be able to sleep right through it. You'll be able to rest in the midst of it because you understand who, who commands the waves. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I like the voice, That's a, I think it's a translation, it might be a paraphrase. Uh, and it, he says, how can you be so afraid? After all you've seen, where is your faith? Jesus is saying, have you not seen what I can do? And so when this storm came up, why are you terrified? Why do you not know who holds the, 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 the waves in his hand? Why do you not know who's in charge of this storm? You see, when you understand that your protector, your defender, your source of life, the truth, the trustworthy, reliable one, the one who'll never leave you or forsake you is in charge of your storm, you will not be worried or terrified. You will not be troubled at heart. You'll be able to rest as you go through it and say, Lord, I don't like it. It's not a lot of fun. I really wish you'd bring me through it fast, but nonetheless, I will do what you tell me to do, and I will rest knowing that you are bigger than this storm. You see, we've got to stop telling Jesus how big our storms are and start telling our storms how big our Jesus is. We've got that reversed. We've got to trust in God and trust also in him. So let me flesh this out for you. This week, when you feel fearful or anxious, when you have some thoughts going through your mind that disrupt your life, guard your heart and do not let it trouble you. Trust instead in God. When you face painful situations or go through hard times, don't let it trouble you. Trust instead in God. Well, when the boat of your life is being swamped by fear and anxiety, don't let it trouble you. Trust instead in God. When the enemy brings lies and tries to torment you and stir up your mind with it, don't let it trouble you. Trust instead in God. Because you have the pneuma, the spirit of truth living within you, and he will guide you and direct you into all truth. We have a choice. No matter what the situation is, no matter how hopeless it seems, we have a choice to not let our hearts, our minds, our will, our emotions be troubled. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is guiding and directing and watching over our life. Let me pray with you. Father God, I just thank you for your word. Oh Lord, it's so powerful. It is so active, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that it would stir within us this week, that you would bring things you say that your Holy Spirit, that pneuma that lives within us, that pneuma of truth that lives within us, will bring things back to mind. And, and Lord, I pray that you would bring this back to mind as people walk through the storms of their life this week, as things try to trouble them and agitate them. I pray that you would bring this back to mind and help them to realize that, that the, we do not need to let ourselves be agitated. 
We don't need to let ourselves be troubled. We don't need to be, let ourselves have the calmness of mind be taken from us. We don't need to let ourselves be anxious or fearful. And so, Father, I thank you that you know every person here tonight, and you know their struggle. You know the storm that they might be in right now. You know the lies they've been listening to. And Lord, I pray that you'd silence those lies now in the name of Jesus, that the spirit of truth would, would, would speak so much louder than the lies and cancel them out. That the God who's with them would calm the storm that they're facing and help them to rest in it. And that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, Lord, to the truth of your word and to the power of God that's living in them. Father, I thank you that you don't let us as orphans. You've made your home, your mansion within us. Oh, Lord, what is man that you're mindful of us? But Lord, I thank you that we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power can be shown to be from you, Lord, and not for us. We can't take any credit for it, Lord. It's you gracing us and working within us. Now bless each one here, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Rhea or Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or call 414-581-8150. We pray God blesses you as you go and live out a fervent life.